Hey, today on the comic syllabus where we read widely and dig deep, uh, we're going to be talking about Black Widow. Um, usually we look at different graphic novels and comics. Um, today we're going to think about some Black Widow comics, but mainly in parallel to the movie that just came out, the MCU movie. So here's your warning. Massive, massive spoilers. Um, I'm not going to even walk through the, the, the steps of the plot. I'm going to assume you've seen the movie and maybe even read some think pieces or listened to some podcast discussions about it. And I just want to get in deep with some of the, um, thoughts that I have about the, the movie and, uh, just want to invite you on that journey with me today. So warning though, if you haven't seen the movie, not only will this spoil things, it will probably make very little sense. So I want to encourage you to, you know, go, to, go to your theaters if it's safe for you, if that's what you feel. Or, or, or be like me and enjoy this last, perhaps, gasp of home viewing for a big Marvel movie and get it on your Disney Plus premiere access or whatever before you launch into listening and then come back when you've watched um, Black Widow. Um, we are at multiversitycomics.com, of course, and this podcast tries to dig deep into um, comics. As I said, I'm Paul. I'm an English teacher. If you're joining us for the first time here, that's what we do here. Um, let's talk about comics. Um, and every week, actually, we have a polybag segment. And last week's polybag segment, uh, I talk about, you know, in the polybag, I talk about new comics that are out in shops and I talk about what I'm seeing and reading in them. Um, and so I just want to briefly mention that to say this week we're going to... S- forego we're gonna skip polybagged um there's a kind of a shortage of titles for me to talk about this week to be honest and with apologies to those titles that are um out there and and a few that i'm following but i I just want to mention that last week's polybag segment um i talked about ordinary gods number one and so this is a correction and an apology because in that segment i misattributed the the short story that's in the back matter of Ordinary Gods number one. I misattributed it to writer Kyle Higgins and I even went on a whole thing about Higgins being a writer and so on. In fact, the short story, which does um, a great and, and, and really elegant job of of building out some mythology of this story and, and how the sort of God characters come into the earth um, and the interactions between them, uh, it was not written by Kyle Huggins. In fact, was written by, um, Jana Tropper. Jana Tropper is this, is a great comics educator. Um, and, uh, and actually, um, I think upon, you know, my sharing the, the, the podcast episode, um, Jana Tropper, um, followed me on, on, on Twitter, which was just super, super nice. And then I, in seeing, um, uh, you know, their, their, their descript, self-description, I realized that I had made the mistake of saying that Kyle Higgins wrote that story. So this is an apology to Janet Tropper and to all of you for, for that. Hey, listen, you know, I've actually gone back and, and reread the issue and read the, the short story in the back. And it's, uh, it's something else. It's really nice. I think that there is an economy in the storytelling. The story really has a, a great punch, you know, from title to end. And it's just in a, in a matter of a few pages. It does a lot to kind of, uh, to, to, to flip the intrigue of this um of of this world that that that's being built and i think tropper is going to continue writing um back matter short stories that go with the the comic and so super super exciting um and um you know a shout out to to janet tropper and by the way mentioned in our correspondence a little bit that um uh she works with reading with pictures which is an organization that if you're a comics 
educator like me is doing a lot of, um, you know, they're pulling together a conference online in August. So check that out if you're a comics educator. Check out the organization Reading with Pictures. Shout out to Jana Chopper and, um, and those, those great, um, back matter stories in, in ordinary gods and, um, and the work of Reading with Pictures. All right. So, uh, that's my, <laughs> that's my corrections department as we launch now into talking about Black Widow, um, movie and some comics. All right. So here we go. Um, so I want to start by talking about the opening theme. Um, I'm going to talk about three different kind of themes where I'm, I'll, I'll talk movie and I'll talk comics and some of the, the, um, the discordance or the, uh, uh, you know, thematic, uh, touch points here. Um, the, um, the opening theme really hit me. Um, you know, there's a, the movie starts with a pretty playful, um, although no doubt meaningful and then, and then quite heavy notion of, you know, Natasha and Yelena as a sister growing up under these two parents. And it seems like kind of a domestic, um, ideal bliss in, in Ohio. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it becomes clear that they are, in fact, um, Russian spies, which we knew all along and they have to flee and there's all the adventure that comes with it. And then it cuts to this, um, extended, pretty extended opening sequence. Um, and, uh, I should say credits sequence and, uh, you know, um, and the images that you see and, and, and forgive me for not giving a content warning earlier about some of these images. I think it really deserved it because I don't know, as I watched it, I was just very troubled. Um, and, and, and I know, I think that was the intention, the, um, the kinds of images. I mean, of course they're spliced in the sort of scenes of, of domestic, right? Happiness and safety, which we learn later in the movie were fabricated with these pictures that um are evocative of the trafficking of 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 of, of kids of, of human beings particularly of girls and you know i had to think while i was watching this and i couldn't shake the thought as i was watching the movie this thought that i have sometimes where you know superhero movies or our 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 sort of creative fictions want to become relevant and connected to real world issues. But these are issues that are often like, you know, incredibly um, challenging, incredibly painful to think about. I mean, if you, if you even, you know, just kind of contemplate, uh, or if you read about, or if you know folks who um, have, um, have sort of I I intersected with that world where, um, I mean, just the most kind of egregious, um, and, and inhumane things that you can do in, 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 you know, taking young girls from, from, from a home or, or exploiting vulnerable, um, uh, kids and then really doing the worst things to them in order to do the worst things for yourself and to feed the worst and most really kind of evil and unthinkable impulses of, of, of people, especially men, right? And, <laughs> to be honest, as I've heard discussion about this opening sequence, like just the most obnoxious thing is just hearing the critics kind of complain about how, how long it was or how discordant the Nirvana, you know, um, uh, uh, cover song was or whatever. <laughs> like that just blows my mind because this just doesn't acknowledge like or recognize, uh, how these movies are, are actually brushing up against some really like tough real world um, things going on. Um, and yet, you know, part of me is kind of sympathetic 
with the critique when it comes from the perspective of like, wow, you're really going to take um, s- such a serious and, and haunting evil and appropriate its gravity for, you know, to kind of steal the weight of it for what? For your, your, your trite superhero story? Like, is that what we're doing here? I can, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that, that perspective. And, and, and I was a little rattled too, watching it myself and, and, and kind of thinking those things. And so it, it took me, um, a minute of really kind of contemplating while I was watching the movie and then a lot of time thinking afterwards. Like I imagine being in the writer's room or the, or, or among the directors and producers, producers saying, okay, are we going to build in this sort of like deliberately extended, um, opening, opening credits, um, sequence? to really draw a kind of analogy or a parallel between, you know, the Red Room and the fictional world of, of, of Natasha and Black Widow that we already, we've already known about for, you know, over a decade in the movies and, of course, much longer in the comics. Are we going to really draw that parallel directly and explicitly to the trafficking of, of human beings and exploit, exploitation of, 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 of girls, right? And, and I, I can imagine the sort of moral deliberation there for the producers of the movie, right? It deserves attention. It deserves moral energy. It it deserves serious study and advocacy. And so do I cheap, am I cheapening that by sort of bringing it into really a superhero story, right? Of making such clear allusions to it, but really never kind of coming back and directly like doing the documentary work or the investigative journalism work or the, the, even the advocacy or the research or whatever, to really touch on and expand on the issue. But I also think that, you know, there's a countering thought. So again, if I'm right in that writer's room, part of my deliberation is like, do I want to do that heavy thing um, and borrow it? I think what the movie is trying to do, and if I had to guess and, and perhaps justify the unjustifiable, is that there's also, I think, a place for these imaginative superhero stories to, to be rooted in our realities to take them to an imaginative place where we're not constantly confronting and, and perhaps being re-traumatized and then really helping us to imagine alternatives, right? Uh, alternatives where, uh, from, from a world where we're powerless, alternatives from a world where, you know, um, where freedom is too hard, uh, where, um, where healing is too hard, where, where, I don't know, um, contradictions are impossible to face. And, you know, superhero stories have always been about that. Like they've been about our far-fetched, but we hope not too far-fetched dreams to, you know, against fascism or against racism or against, you know, like uh, against uh, uh, forms of control or oppression, right? That's what superhero stories can do. And insofar as this movie is a long overdue <laughs> rectifying of failing in the MCU and in, and, and, and in media more broadly, to center women's stories and the perspectives and issues that um, we may be trying to glance, um, then maybe there's a responsibility for the superhero story to say, yeah, this is not, you know, uh, uh, patriarchy, misogyny. It, it has this underbelly in reality as well. And let's, let's not forget that, right? And so we have, you know, in superhero stories, the, the Black Widow Red Room where young girls are kidnapped and essentially, you know, detached of their autonomy, of their, you know, a, a attempted detachment of their, their will, their uh, detachment from their body and control over their bodies. And there's a, 
there's a way where the MCU is clearly trying to confront the problematic aspects of its own portrayals in that in the scene, for instance, when they're talking about like, you know, when Yelena, um, Francis Pugh's, um, character, sorry, Florence Pugh's character, um, you know, it, it just turns around to, to their father and, uh, fake father and says, you know, yeah, look, this is what they did to our reproductive organs. Um, and it's just, it was, it's, it's, you take the haunting, uh, reality and you pull it out of the place of, um, of taboo and shame and you just put it out there. And this is, and now we continue to live our lives. I mean, that's where for me, I think that there may be, um, a, a conscious and ethical decision by the storytellers, by the filmmakers. We're not trying to cheaply appropriate. So we're not going to like kind of you know, make the parallel and keep on like touching back. Hey, 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 look what I'm doing. I'm talking about, you know, uh, girls who are trafficked, but you make the parallel from the beginning, but then you let the imagine the story and the, and the implications and the choices and the decisions play out in the imaginative, um, narrative and, and, and really to kind of come back again and again to, um, the moral, the healing, the, the agentive work within the superhero imagination, you know, within the fictional world. And then the implications then, well, I guess I'll put, put it this way. And, and where I, I'm still left a little pretty unsettled with this is I know when I, when I'm thinking about Shang-Chi and retelling the, the Mandarin character and, uh, what, what was done not just in the MCU in the past, but in, in comics and in, in, um, you know, Western genre storytelling and their role in Orientalism. Do I want my comics, my superhero stories, my movies to, to be aware of a problematic past and to say nothing about it? Or do I want them to, uh, to then switch gears and participate in, imagining alternatives it's the latter for me right and black panther does this amazing job of uh, and i do mean black panther of confronting right these these thorny questions about the responsibility of of oppressed people and particularly you know those who hold wealth as as a kind of hidden treasure what's your responsibility to other black folks throughout the world right or, or other oppressed peoples throughout the world and i think that um i don't know if somebody who uh, who has lived the experience and the 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 realities of trafficking would see in this story those things that I'm alluding to, I don't know, um, and I'm not close enough to the, to that world and to but but I know that there are those who are, and um, I can imagine a conscientious decision by the creators, by the filmmakers, to make this connection. Um, so that's just, you know, what's going on in my head. And meanwhile, I'm reading all kinds of Black Widow comics and, you know, I could only go so far, to be honest. There's just, um, many things that, I mean, I won't say that they are, um, on the side of human trafficking, but the sense of exploitation, uh, that happens in some of the stories, it, um, you know, it's more of the, the harmful stuff than and, and the exploitative stuff than the subversive and challenging stuff than the uh alternative narrative sometimes um 
But, you know, I will say one of the things that I've seen a lot of people, you know, critics reading alongside Black Widow is the 2009 miniseries Black Widow Deadly Origin. Obviously, the title tells you they're trying to touch on a revamping or retelling written by Paul Cornell and with art mostly by Tom Rainey, um, I think is doing the pencils. And I don't love the story. don't love the art. Um, there are, however, these flashback scenes drawn by, um, uh, you know, favorite of the show, favorite of mine and, and you know, two, two sadly recently departed John Paul Leone. And you can see this um, this page right here where um there is a part of Natasha's origin in the comics where um she is is sort of handed over to the red room uh agents or whatever the 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 Russian um KGB powers who who take and train these little girls but where it's a voluntary uh you know act where um uh the Romanov family actually do have some resources and some means but they um, are also very committed ideologically to the struggle. And so they give Natasha to um, these Red Room oppressors um, voluntarily. And I, I think that's, uh, again, another axis on which the storytelling decisions and the kind of the moral culpability of who is responsible for the situation of, of these girls you know, who are, uh, again, stripped of their agency of their, their own, you know, their own possible futures and sort of made into these instruments of assassination or, or, um, or of, you know, the underbelly of, uh, of ideology, ideological work. Like that's, that's an interesting contrast. It, it, um, foregrounds to me the decisions that the, the, uh, MCU filmmakers are making as far as how they, uh, formulate the backstory of um, Natasha Romanoff in the films. Uh, what what they what the responsibility they have as as contemporary storytellers, and then really how does uh, the whole narrative of the movie and this sort of reformed family uh, try to I don't know perhaps make amends or or do and say something different about um, those who may or, or may not bear some responsibility for these young girls' lives. So, um, I, you know, <laughs> from a comics perspective, I didn't love Black Widow, uh, Deadly Origin. Um, but I do think it's an example of something that I saw as I was just reading a lot of old Black Widow comics, um, of this constant, um, tussling between, uh, these, again, mostly white and male creators and writers in most of Black Widow's history of, you know, this character is a figment of our, of our fantasies and our imaginations. Um, very often sexualized. Sometimes there's a, there's a opening of where the sexual power that Natasha holds is something that, um, she can exploit and use to her own advantage, uh, as a spy or as a superhero. Um, and then there's the moral gray area, or I should say rather the, the, the moral amb ambiguity of her starting out as a villain and then, you know, attaching all those femme fatale trappings. And is that in fact a kind of, um, power and agency that she holds, or is it actually just, you know, yet another, uh, layer of, you know, misogynistic suspicion, um, 
<laughs> those are the things crossing my mind as I read. Uh, and I can only ingest so much without having to stop these old um, Black Widow comics. Um, meanwhile, the movies, I think, continue to do something interesting. Uh, the scene below, and you'll know it right away as soon as you see it, is Florence Pugh, who, you know, I just agree with everybody, is absolutely brilliant in this movie, um, mocking the um, recent history of Black Widow, even MCU Black Widow. Um, there is a 2010 series, which was clearly coming at the same time and, you know, maybe right on the heels of, of Scarlett Johansson's, um, character first appearing in Iron Man 2. Uh, and this is the sixth issue. And in going back and reading this series, um, I'm massively disappointed in issue six. The writer switches from Marjorie Liu to, um, Dwayne Swarzynski, um, who I know is good in some, at some things, but I'm just not a big fan of. Um, I think the pencils here are done by Manuel Garcia. Um, but you can see in this panel, uh, in the middle, the sort of like pretty gross and, um, but certainly not unprecedented presentation of Natasha as essentially a sexualized object, um, who's, who's like, you know, almost main source of agency is that she has the ability to, you'll see in this, in the prior page of this comic, like she's, you know, in a, she's in this big jacket that covers up her body. And so the, when you kind of unleash Black Widows, when you unleash, you know, this, um, pretty disappointing because the earlier half of this run, the first five issues, um, um, first five issues have a different, creative team uh and uh it's marjorie lou writing and uh daniel acuna is the artist and we get a really different um and refreshingly uh non-sexualized uh set of visuals around um natasha and you know i just really love the florence Pugh sense of humor um in this yelena character and you know mocking the pose is not only uh yelena making fun of the kind of, you know, splash page centerfold body presentation of past MCU movies and yes, like decades of these comics, the drawings. Um, but it's really, I think, giving it a kind of edge to the, um, the kind of stuff that you are seeing right now in Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande's Black Widow run. Or I think even that Mark Wade and Chris Somney's recent 2016 Black Widow run were able to do, which is to say, here's a presentation that is not obsessed with the exploitation of a gaze on <laughs> Natasha as sexualized object. And just look how much better, how much more interesting it is to not be captive to that thing. And I mean, that is what Florence Pugh's Yelena character, um, you know, in, in, in kind of questioning Natasha does with a kind of like a wit and a shoulder shrug and a, and a like sardonic confrontation. I just love that, you know, because, um, as I've heard the story told a few times from Joanna Robinson uh, at Vanity Fair of, you know, uh, Kevin Feige talking about how he would um, 
you know, watch a, a bad Star Trek movie or something like that and then take his toys out to the backyard and redo the movie. This is how it should have been and how in, in some ways the MCU, um, only a decade old, but already a decade old and guilty of, you know, a kind of <laughs> Ike Perlmutter, Ike Perlmutter washing toward, um, you know, uh, pantheon of white guys named Chris being our heroes, um, has the chance to, you know, like Kevin Feige taking the toys out to the backyard and playing that story back. Let's play that story back and let's try to rectify some stuff while we're at it. And I think Yelena has that spirit. Um, Scarlett Johansson in, for what it's worth, um, telling and retelling Natasha's story. I mean, this is why I don't agree with folks who are a little bit like Black Widow is too little, too late. We should have had this seven years ago and we didn't. And so that's reason to quit on this movie. Agree with all of those sentiments, except that, you know, all that means for me is this movie has a lot of work to do to address those things. And, and, but, but, but not just to be stuck addressing those things, but to roll in the self critique with the advancement of something different. Florence Pugh's brilliant portrayal of Yelena as a character and the possibilities of her in her future. Like I was just, you know, watching this with my family and I don't know, maybe this is over saying, overstating it. You can, you can critique me for this, but I was proud that my daughter was seeing this, you know, proud that my daughter was maybe internalizing a voice that could both laugh at and have empathy for the pressure on Scarlet Natasha of the past to show up in these poses that, I mean, I think for the most part were to be a sort of kick-ass fighter, but yeah, some of the extraneous close-ups on um, Scarlett Johansson's body were less than necessary in my view. Uh, anyway, I, I, I think, um, thinking about Black Widow as, um, not only a work of narrative reparations, but, but certainly has that job to do, um, makes me more appreciative of the complexities of storytelling that, um, Black Widow and, and really all the MCU films are trying to do, which brings us to the, uh, the last kind of area I want to talk about, which is General Dracov's daughter. And, um, you know, the reveal at the end of the movie, again, crazy spoiler, if you're, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, why are you still here? Um, is that General, uh, is that Taskmaster, who is, of course, an agent of the, the, the bad guys in this movie, turns out to be not Johnny Masters, um, as in the comics, but the daughter of General Dracov, who is alluded to in the whole Dracov's daughter part of Natasha's, you know, red ledger that is um even alluded to in Avengers, the original Avengers movie where Loki is, you know, trying to get into get in, you know, Natasha's head and talks about all these all of the red in her ledger which includes an illusion. And it mentioned right there from way back when uh to Dracoff's daughter. And so for Dracoff's daughter to come back in the form of Taskmaster, um that's the, you know, the way that MCU chose to uh to, to, to do this character, to use, utilize Taskmaster. And then, of course, nerds on 
social media all up in arms because that's not my taskmaster. Um, a character who has, um, some, 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 a lot of history and, and, and you could have done a lot more of, um, the comics history in this character. And, you know, I understand folks complaining because I want my taskmaster. I don't want you to use taskmaster or misuse taskmaster for whatever point that you're trying to make about, um, Black Widow's redemption tour from, um, from her murky past. Um, but I, 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 I do think that, um, having taskmaster as a kind of morally ambivalent villain is again along the lines of what i've been talking about not only it makes sense to me but it it really is to me part of rectifying some some past storytelling problems um you know in that scene in the old uh, original avengers movie where loki mentions drakoff's daughter you know he's trying to get into her head she looks like she's filled with self-doubt and remorse turns out it's all a ploy a way that um you know thank you for your cooperation uh, natasha is manipulating the chief manipulator you know is uh is is fooling the god of lies to revealing his plan um if you don't know what i'm talking about go back and watch that first avengers movie again but you know it, it is uh an early portrayal of nat as somebody who's so canny and cagey that she can use the assumptions that people have about her uh, emotionality as a kind of master spy manipulation. I mean, so so that that winds up being cool and useful for the storytellers who want to have Black Widow be the super spy who you know can hold her own with all these superpowered Avengers all through the, you know, Iron Man and Avengers movies and Winter Soldier and blah, 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 all the way to the point where I thought it was just super cool in, in Endgame when um, Black Widow winds up being the, you know, PB&J eating leader of the remnant Avengers, you know, uh, after the, the snap. Um, but then the problem is that you're introducing is that when you have a character who is deemed suspicious or liable to double talk or not necessarily to be trusted because they are able to use the assumptions that a very um, male-dominated world have about them to advantage, then you leave that character in a position of um, do we judge them not to have any emotional truth behind what they are, you know, what, what feelings they're showing. In other words... Does Nat, in fact, use it all for just manipulation, her ploys to get answers from Loki? Or is there actually um, a moral weight that she carries? Now, the movies in the past do show that um, not only is Natasha conscious of the red in her ledger, she's very much driven in all her decision making by trying to make up for it, right? Um, but bringing Drakoff's daughter back into the movie in this way in in the Black Widow movie um with us knowing the end of Natasha's life lets us have a chance to see that ending where she says sorry at the end and you know and and you can say is that enough right is it enough that she whispers an apology at the end for essentially murdering a 
a, a, a girl, a little girl. You know, like one of the things I thought about is that in the scene, the flashback scene where um, Nat is trying to fully uh, break from the KGB or whatever and and join S.H.I.E.L.D., right? What she has to do is she has to give them Drake off. And she counts that as the cost. And so there's that scene where, you know, she's watching the Drakeoff's daughter, the little girl, and you could have written in, I don't know, a kind of hesitation or maybe that she, she waits and thinks, could I make this bomb explode or, you know, order Clint to blow it up when maybe it's possible that Drakeoff's daughter would survive it as she, of course, ends up doing, right? They don't though, because I think they don't want to put, take the foot off of the pedal of the moral um, accounting that Natasha, our hero, has to make. I mean, in some ways, as a storytelling tool, like that would make more sense, right? Oh, why did Dracoff's daughter survive? Because Natasha subtly waited until she was out of blast range. Like that would explain why Antonia survives to become taskmaster um, later. But I think that what that would do is it would disarm what it means the value of Taskmaster coming back as a villain who's, you know, like ta Taskmaster's whole thing is that, you know, he, they, she has like kind of derivative powers, right? Like, you know, we get to see all this, whoa, that's a Captain America move or whoa, that's a, uh, that's a Black Widow move right there, right? Um, and, 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 and in taking on the powers of our heroes from, the Marvel Universe, I feel like Taskmaster that Marvel is trying to, the MCU is trying to make Taskmaster like all those more complex villains, um, be it Loki who becomes more sympathetic as time goes on, or Killmonger who's in many ways not wrong, you know, about the responsibility of oppressed peoples, or Thanos who has this kind of Malthusian economical moral logic which is atrocious but in some ways, you know, mirrors many of the ways we rationalize our moral decisions. Dracov's daughter seems to me an attempt to make Taskmaster's moral logic compelling and complex as a villain. And, you know, I haven't really seen this point brought up or talked about, but it seems important, you know, in, in my view that in phase four of MCU, because there's such a strong, um, you know, skepticism now and, and, and withdrawal now from it as um, I, I, I'm, you know, hear chatter that like, oh, we're now doing the Eternals and we're now doing Shang-Chi and we're doing these characters I don't care about. I just want to see my Captain America and my Iron Man, not because I'm a racist, but because I just don't feel a connection with these characters. You know, now we're deep in the back catalog. You know, it's not the, not the white guy's name Chris at the center but you know this is now it's now Tony Leung and Brian Tyree Henry and, and Gemma Chan and you know uh, the uh, amazing young young woman playing Kamala Khan and America Chavez and their surrounding characters that is going to be the center of the MCU and for me the question for us as an audience and let me put it more sharply the question for the fanboys as an audience is how can we perceive the value the rich complexity, the moral questions that are raised by these characters, by us. I mean, I, what I'm saying is that in rejecting Antonia Drakoff as a taskmaster who might live on to play a role in the future because, you know, she's not 
Tony Masters, look, if you have a big problem with that, I don't know how comfortable you're going to be with the next phase of MCU heroes and villains. And I guess I'm just saying, if that's your reason for quitting on this, these stories, I don't know. Maybe you should look inside yourself a little bit. Um, I want to just bring that to 2020's Widowmakers, Red Guardian, and Yelena Belova. Um, it was a sort of a one-shot written by Devin Grayson, who is actually um, one of the originators of the Yelena character and um, drawn by Michelle Bandini. Um, this is a pretty cool comic. And if you liked... Uh, oh, let me pause this video here. If you liked the... Um, you know, the kinds of maybe, let's say, productive rewriting of the story that the MCU is doing. I feel like with this one shot, which I think most people missed, I didn't hear a lot of commentary about it. Obviously, it was meant to come out at the same time as the movie um, and to provide some good Yelena and good Red Guardian that has echoes of the movie, but it, of course, came out too early because the movie was delayed. Check this out. You can check it out on our Marvel Unlimited Um because we see it basically showing up in the comics, a little bit of the Yelena, a little bit of the um, the Red Guardian character who, of course, existed in the past in Marvel as one of Natasha's many paramours, but, you know, really has a chance to live in the, the now the comics world as it's just been influenced by the movies and I think in many positive directions, um, characters rewritten to to have the kind of well, let's say sense of humor and then the tools that that sense of humor allows you to have, which is to look back at sordid parts of your own self, your own history, your own story, and playfully, in a low-key trickster kind of way, rewrite them to the, to the narrative that they should be. Um, I'll save some more of that because now I'm getting into the questions of continuity and revisionism that um, I think Loki the show is getting into. And I'd love to talk about Loki the show um, and what I call continuity. Are we ready for continuity um, in our Marvel universe, um, in our Marvel Cinematic Universe that uh, not just us comic nerds, but everyday folks are, are getting into um, some of the gifts and curses of being comic book fans now available to all of the mass audience um anyway check out Widowmakers, uh red guardian yelena belova um overall i would say my assessment of black widow uh i liked it i mean i think as i keep talking about it raises all these interesting questions for me so um listen uh the comic syllabus had a long break because of covid and um and honestly, just my life couldn't handle, <laughs> couldn't handle it. Um, and since I've come back, I just really want to thank those of you who have um, reached out and responded. Um, as I have regularly made um, pleas for <laughs> for y'all to follow and subscribe and and touch base. It's been re really nice to hear from a few folks and also some new listeners who found us. Um, and uh, good to hear back, Johnny, from you, um, Johnny. Um, one-time co-host with me here at the comic syllabus um, but I also want to continue to just be transparent that uh, I am a, an educator this is summer and I wanted to 
try to reboot comic syllabus you can tell that i'm kind of searching around for what exact what pocket exactly this podcast is meant to fit i um i honestly uh you know really appreciate learning from other podcasters and comics reviewers and journalists and academics and and critics but i also sometimes you know in a way you do a podcast because try to give the perspectives that you would want to hear you know you you do the thing that you wish was out there in the world and uh and i and i do see some of it you know folks like robots from tomorrow or even some of the the weekly review of um the superhero universes that the dc three cast uh guys are doing uh you can tell i'm just kind of in their in the shadow trying to to follow their footsteps and do some similar things but i don't know if this has purpose or if it's reading and reaching an audience i can tell you that i get to see stats for the podcast uh we're not doing the kind of numbers that could you know justify doing a patreon or trying to get sponsors or whatever um and i don't know that i can keep doing it honestly this podcast um costs me i mean in the area of 500 to a thousand dollars a year to you know do the podcast hosting and for the books that i get in order to review them and um not to mention the hours to produce it and you know meanwhile uh i think the listenership is not much larger than the number of young people i reach as a teacher so when the summer's over and the fall comes and i'm back to full-time work rather than the sort of uh, part-time trainings that i'm doing uh i think comic syllabus will only continue if it has found its niche and um i have some clarity about why i'm doing this all that to say thank you for those of you who've been um connecting on social media on our facebook page liking the podcast and sometimes i can't tell if you're real people or not um or retweeting um thanks to writer rom v for retweeting um a little advertisement on social media but it would really help me to hear um, if this is serving a function if there are 20 people who um find this worth it to listen somewhat regularly to tune in now and then um that would make it worth it for me but i know that i see now and then you know somebody on twitter i think jimmy palmiotti just wrote hey comics podcast what's out there and a million people are re-upping this and that other comics podcast and i get it i sometimes listen to those folks too but anyway a review on apple podcasts or whatever you can do to get the word out so that as i wrap up this summer and i can contemplate whether this is worth continuing and whether it's really serving a positive function out there um which is help so that's my that's my bid for a little bit of help getting the word out all right thank you so much for joining me today to talk about black widow i hope in the coming week to touch on the second half of the eisner's lists we'll revisit the poly bag we'll do infinite unlimited and check out what's on marvel unlimited and dc universe infinite we'll talk about little nostalgia tour for me in my childhood with fifth fist of the north star volume one that came out from viz there's a ton of graphic novels i'd like to do more comics please kids comics and um you know what's good for parents and and librarians and educators to look at um if it seems a bit scattershot like i said i'm kind of feeling out what this podcast should be 
and uh, whether it lives on in the fall. So thanks so much for listening and uh, would love your feedback. All right, let's keep reading.